Okay, well this is it. It is the day, the greatest day of the year for Christians, isn't it? It is almost the best day. Um, does anyone know who Arsene Wenger was? He was a football manager. And he was the manager of Arsenal. And he, in, the, in the football season, he used to say that the period of Christmas was important. But the time of Easter was decisive. <laughs> in the football season, that meant the results around Christmas, they were quite important. But the ones at Easter, they were the really important ones, the decisive ones. And perhaps it's the same for Christians, isn't it? We, we, you know, Christmas is up there as well. But is Easter... Maybe it's all important. It's all part of one uh, big thing. But this year we've journeyed through our Holy Week, haven't we? On Good Friday, many of you were here and we had a reflective time of prayer at some of the stations. And that was a somber day in many respects. We remember the death of Jesus. But today we are here and Jesus has risen from the dead and he is alive. You know, maybe sitting there thinking, well, Sam's chosen a bit of an odd passage here this morning. It's all about doubt. Why didn't he choose the classic one where, you know, Mary goes to the garden and sees Jesus alive and declares it? Well, in previous years we've done that. This year I thought we'd focus uh, on this passage, which perhaps is, is part of the resurrection story we don't always think about necessarily on Easter morning. Let's have a quick recap and then I'm going to bring out some some points for us to think about today. We start where it's on the evening. So we've already had in this story Jesus rising from the dead and Mary and the disciples, you know, the, the women going to the tomb. We've already had that. And the doors are locked because they're afraid. It says they're afraid of the Jews. They may be still not sure what this means. You know, we've heard the women say about it. Well, we, we, you know, is this true? What, what on earth are you going to going to say about this and Jesus comes and he stands among them after the resurrection in all the gospels Jesus is with the disciples at some times isn't he but at other times he goes away again it's not like he's always there um he's also able to walk through walls that's pretty cool isn't it I'd like to be able to walk through walls I don't know if anyone wants to give it a go right now probably best not to right yet but um that's pretty cool and then he says these words peace be with you He shows them his hands and his side, and he breathes on them so that they receive the Holy Spirit. But it says that Thomas wasn't there. And he says, unless I see Jesus, unless I feel his hands and his his sides, I'm not going to believe him. And a week later, the disciples are together. They're still trying to make sense of it. Jesus comes, and finally Thomas gets to see And touch Jesus' sides. And he says these wonderful words. He says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you who have seen. But even more blessed are you if you haven't seen and yet believed. What should we make of this? I want to draw out three things this morning that we can take away on this blessed day. The first is that Jesus comes to bring us peace. Jesus comes to bring us peace. If you don't speak English, can you shout out the word for peace in your, your language, your first language maybe? Ali, what is, what is peace? Arameshor. Arameshor. I won't try and do it myself. Um, sol, sol, yeah. Iris, 
What's peace in, in your first language? Peng Yong. Peng Hong. Peng Hong. Okay, brilliant. And in Shona? I'm not going to try and repeat any of those, but it's, even those words, they sound beautiful to me, don't they? they? They sound beautiful when they say peace. The first thing that Jesus says when he comes back from the dead in John's Gospel is these words, peace be with you. Those ten verses that Mark read out, he says it three times. Three times he says it. And the reaction of the disciples is when they hear it, they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And that's the first point I want to bring, is that an encounter with the risen Jesus should bring us joy and should bring us peace. Of course, it's a dark world, isn't it, still out there? We were reminded of that on on Friday. There's much in the world that makes us afraid. But in the midst of this pain, Jesus comes to us and he confronts us this morning. And he calls us to show the world what peace and joy looks like. Too often we are quite serious as Christians, aren't we? We come and we dutifully come and do our duty. You know, we come to church and we sing our songs. And it's a very serious call. Jesus has called us to to do a serious thing. And we get bogged down in the nitty gritty. But actually knowing Jesus is the best thing in the world. Have you lived a life with peace in it? Maybe you haven't. This world is difficult. Maybe in your own life, as you've grown up, you've seen violence and you've seen disunity. You've seen pain. I want to say to you this morning, the risen Christ offers you peace. I once heard a story of someone who came to faith and they were asked at the front of the church and they said, well, why did you want to do this? What was it about following Jesus that wanted you to do that? And the person said, well, I've been hanging around Christians the last few months and they actually seemed quite happy. (laughs) They seemed joyful. And I liked being around them. This doesn't always mean that Christians are joyful and happy. Often they're quite miserable, like I said. And it doesn't always mean that we have to be happy. Of course, there are times in our lives which bring sadness. But actually, when someone, if someone walked in off the street this morning and stood among us, would they say, these people are joyful? These people give us the, the air of knowing what peace looks like. I hope that that would be true. I want to bring this quote. This man is a a man called Clarence Jordan, uh, who lived in America at a time of um, the civil rights movement and at a time when uh, people, because of the colour of their skin, weren't allowed to come together. And he uh, lived on a farm which brought people of all different uh, races together and came together. And, And I just, I love his life. I've read different things about him. And he said this, the resurrection of Jesus was simply God's unwillingness to take our no for an answer. He raised Jesus not as an invitation to us to come to heaven when we die, but as a declaration that he himself has now established permanent, eternal residence here on earth. He is standing beside us and strengthening us in this life. If this is true, and I believe that it is, This is the best news in the world ever. This world has a purpose. 
The center of the universe is not just nothingness, but it is love. All pain and sorrow will one day be gone, and we are moving towards that. We are, God is making humanity new again. In verse 22 of this passage, it said that Jesus then breathed on them. Sorry, that picture's not very good, but it shows that Jesus breathed on them. And the word in Greek that this word is used is the same word um, when the Old Testament was translated into Greek as well. It's the same word that when it said in Genesis that God breathed on Adam to bring him life. So this is what Jesus does. He brings us new life. This is the, the pattern of the resurrection and the cross. Jesus died and then come back to life. And it's the same pattern as when we are baptised by the Holy Spirit. We are died to ourselves and we are raised to new life again. So that's the first point. Jesus comes to give us peace and joy. Once we've experienced this joy, the second point is that we are given a task. We don't just sit in our holy huddle here on a Sunday, do we? <laughs> In verse 21, it says that Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. There's a real temptation, isn't there? With the good news of the resurrection, we sit there and enjoy it. We stay in our building. We stay right here in the four walls of this building. And we enjoy it. Life is brilliant. But actually there is. John has a phrase you say often, over and over again, there's a hurting and needy world out there. <laughs> and it's true. And we are sent into this world. That is what happens with the resurrection life. Isaiah 61 verse 1 says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And a key part of this is this word forgiveness that Jesus also talks about in this passage. Sorry, I thought it would come up. In verse 23. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven to them. If you do not forgive, they are retained. Do you know, forgiveness is such a key part of life. So much suffering and pain in this world that we've talked about today. Maybe estranged family members, friends that have fallen out, businesses that have gone wrong, business partners, even the war in Ukraine the war in Afghanistan or Syria. If Jesus' forgiveness was at the heart of these situations, then I believe those situations would be transformed. Do you know, when we, we think about death in our modern world, if I asked you today, would you um, like a quick death or a slow death? What would you say? <laughs> Everyone wants a quick death, don't they? That's the modern world. We want a quick death to be able to just die quickly in our sleep. But this didn't always used to be the way in Christian history. In fact, only until about 100, 200 years ago, most Christians, if you'd asked them, they would have said, I wanted a slow death. Because they would say, it gives me an opportunity to give forgiveness. 
to the people I owe forgiveness to, or to ask forgiveness for the people I want to ask forgiveness from. It's just a different a perspective. I'm not saying necessarily it's wrong to ask for a quick death. In that many ways, that would be my, my preference too, but just that attitude is quite different, isn't it? I knew someone a few years ago who, who was dying of cancer, and they probably had the best death that I can imagine. Because over those months when they were dying, they wrote people letters to say, I'm sorry for doing this, or ask for forgiveness. And eventually they died. And it was a beautiful thing to, to see. In response to the resurrection today, is there anyone you need to forgive in your life? Is there anyone you need to ask forgiveness from? Maybe you have wronged them. It's an opportunity to think about this today. Again, Jesus has been resurrected. The, the second thing he says after peace be with you is forgiveness. Forgiveness is so important in this life. Life is short, brothers and sisters. Let us forgive one another. <laughs> we are sent into this world with a task. Our God is a missionary God. He gives us something to do. And then finally, thirdly, let's look at Thomas for a second. This figure who has got the uh, unenviable thing. Whenever he's mentioned in our talk, he's got a first a, a, a kind of adjective that comes before him, hasn't he? What is it? It's doubting Thomas, exactly. This poor guy is, you know, one of the disciples. He's always remembered for doubting. Poor guy. But anyway, what do we make of this Thomas who is a doubter? Well, there's a temptation to think about Thomas as if this is something to be avoided. You know, as if I was there, I would have believed. If I was there, I would have believed it. Well, I actually doubt that, to be honest. <laughs> because most of the disciples were there. They'd heard the testimony of the women. And it says that they weren't bold. They were behind these locked doors. Can you honestly put your hand up and say, if you were there, oh, I would have been brilliant. You know, we've got 2,000 years of history. We've had, they didn't even have the scriptures written down by then. And they, you know, it was realistic that they doubted. And I think that's the first thing I want to say, that the, the reality is that doubts come in Christian life, don't they? Doubts come. I'm going to be honest, I'm a minister of the gospel. I'm an officer. I've been through two years of Salvation Army Training College, believe it or not. <laughs> and I can't hold my hands up and say that I believe with the whole heart, every second of every day, that God is there responding to me I have doubts there are some days when I wake up and I I pray and I think gosh am I am I praying is God there or am I praying to nothing I would like to have more proof at times wouldn't you to be able to see Jesus right there to be able to feel his hands and his feet to see him in front of me if only I could touch Jesus hand I'd be okay anyone else Ever think like that? Put your hands up, being honest. Yeah, I do, it's true. How do we deal with doubts in the Christian life? Firstly, we need to acknowledge that they're there, not to pretend that they're not there. God doesn't want that, I don't think. If I say to you, whatever you do, don't think about carrots, what are you thinking about? Carrots. <laughs> carrots, aren't you? Go on, be honest, if I say that. You're thinking about carrots. You can't pretend that something's not there just by thinking hard enough about it. 
But this side of Jesus coming again, until Jesus comes again in glory, and we believe that he will, we won't always be on the mountaintop of faith, will we? We won't always be there. In Hebrews 11, it says that faith is not certainty, but confidence and assurance in what we do not see. We don't see Jesus physically here until he'll come again. That's true. We don't see it perfectly now. But number two, faith is a choice sometimes. It's not just a feeling, but actually it's a, you know, Thomas didn't just go away when the disciples told him that he'd come, that Jesus had come back. But he sought after Jesus to be reassured. He said, if I will feel his hands and his side. So if we can allow doubts to draw us back into a place of worship, the worst thing we can do is when we have doubts is divorce ourselves from our church family. To stop reading scripture, to stop praying. Of course, it's not easy. We don't need to pretend we're always on the, the top of the mountain. But keep coming. Those doubts won't always last. Thomas didn't do this on his own, did he? He was surrounded by his disciples, Jesus' disciples. And in many times, the faith of others has been really important to me. I don't know if that's been the case to you, but sometimes I'll be sitting here in church. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I believe this, but I can see other people around me. Yes, this is true. I'm like, I'm encouraged by that. And that's what Jesus sends us to be part of this journey. He doesn't make us do it alone. That's why I think it's rubbish when people say, well, you know, I'm spiritual, but not religious. I don't need to go to church. I can find God on the golf course or, you know, whatever it is. No, we need a community of people around us to encourage us along the journey. That's why testimony is so important. And we're going to have a little time of testimony after this to say, where in your life are we seeing God at work? Where is resurrection happening? verse 25 in our passage, it says the other disciples told him. So, you know, that's really important. The other disciples are there. And thirdly and finally, the third point of the third points I'm making. Jesus says, bizarrely enough, we are actually in a better position than Thomas. Isn't that weird? He says this. He literally says, Thomas got to see and feel his hands. But verse 29, he says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believed. It's a bit weird, isn't it? It's kind of against what you think to be true, but that's what Jesus says. In some ways, it's easy for Thomas. He kind of saw Jesus and he saw the the marks, so it's fine. But in the kingdom of God, we haven't seen Jesus physically here. We've experienced him through his Holy Spirit. We've experienced him in fellowship together and we are in a more blessed position than even Thomas so brothers and sisters take heart today maybe you're here and it's that first point is true for you 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 experience that joy and that peace and you woke up this morning goodness me Jesus is alive maybe you went to see the sunrise and yeah this is wonderful maybe you're here today though actually secretly in your heart not sure if this is true. Do I really believe this? Don't be discouraged. Don't pretend that that's not true. But take encouragement from your brothers and sisters around you. And remember that Jesus says, even faith as small as a mustard seed, that is a blessed place to be in. Jesus acknowledges that we have not seen him face to face. 
but in believing we are still blessed. We're going to sing a song that's going to come up on the screen now. Um, it's a song that's quite recent, so some of you may not know it, but let's just uh, respond. Just If you don't know the words, just listen to them. This morning, this Easter morning, if you want to come to the mercy seat and someone to pray for you, if you're feeling as if this new life that Jesus talks about, oh, it's just so far away. Perhaps you knew it once, but it's gone. You can come and pray or pray in your seat and I will pray with you or someone else will pray with you here today. Let's sing together. Praise the name of the Lord our God.